my question to that would be, if you have a seller that has a platform business by your definition, and they're bringing in 17 million gross revenue, they're hunting and fishing half the year, why the hell would they sell the business to you? Yeah. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, guys? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is your host, as always, Brian Lubin, helping you get rich, happy, successful, and free with a capital F in your life and business. As you guys know, we do a lot of podcast interviews on this show, and also we do a weekly Monday call within the Action Academy community with an entrepreneur that is $10 million plus in their net worth and equity positions. And we had a call a couple of weeks ago that was so fantastic, so wonderful, so action-packed and full of useful bite-sized nuggets of information that you guys can implement today that I wanted to post it for free for all of you guys here live on the podcast. Once again, for these calls, there's a bit more talking over each other. There's a bit more uh, static. There's a little bit less clarity with the audio because we're all on a giant Zoom call with like 60 people and the Wi-Fi connections just sometimes overlap. So bear with us through that. This is not scripted. This is not planned. This is just a candid live conversation with a whole bunch of people that are interested in actively pursuing financial freedom. So what I want you guys to pay attention to is about halfway through the interview, you'll hear a woman named Janet start to ask questions about the business buying process, and they're very sophisticated questions. And you may think that she's a very seasoned entrepreneur, and she is a stud, I'll tell you that. But 14 weeks ago, Janet joined the Action Academy community through listening to the podcast, and she didn't know about buying businesses, real estate. She just said, hey, I'm hungry, I'm ready to go, let's rock. And she took off like a freaking rocket. So it's awesome for me to listen to the questions that she's asking in this interview, because now we're putting her face to face with someone worth $350 million, uh, because Jay has successfully bought, sold and exited businesses to that degree. And it's just really cool for me to watch her blossom and thrive within the community along with all the other amazing people that we have in there. So guys, sit tight, enjoy this for free. If you want to be a part of this, if you want to be on the calls, asking the questions, toe-to-toe, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, being able to actually have one-on-one calls with these entrepreneurs. Book a call in the show description through the link. And also, if you guys find value from this, please share this with one or two people that you think would also find value. This is how we grow the show. We don't do paid ads. Thanks so much. Let's get to it. I went into manufacturing and I spent about five years in manufacturing, two years in Southern California, and about four and a half in actually in China. And ran a, a million square foot facility with 2,500 people manufacturing home goods, food product, health and beauty product, gift products for all the big retailers. And 2007, eight happened. And a lot of the retailers that we worked with stopped paying us. And Bank of America took their line of credit and we were out of business. It was almost a billion dollar company within 90 days. And so I learned a lot from that and I developed a good network of C-suite executives that went to different companies and ended up calling me for operational turnaround. So they knew I was the guy when you have problems with your manufacturing facility or your distribution center or any types of operation. And I spent about four and a half years traveling the world in the US 
and the country to fix different operations. And until I got tired and I decided to get a place at that time, it was probably about 10 years where I was just living in hotels. And I said, I need a place to, to put my stuff in. And I started looking for rent and friends told me that I should buy instead of renting. And I looked into real estate. I bought a place around 2011 and I saw value go up and I bought two and I bought three. And I said, I want to learn more about real estate investing. But instead of learning about real estate investing, I went and got my real estate license and I ended up learning about real estate selling. And I got stuck in that bubble for about four and a half years where I built the company from zero to $350 million in sales. And a large regional company came by and said, hey, can we buy that? And, uh, and I said, yes, you can buy it. And I sold 70% of it. I kept 30. We doubled in size every year for the following three years. And then three and a half years, oh, like another six months after that, I sold the rest of the 30%. I converted everything into commercial real estate and other stuff and bought a few business, small businesses and retired in Hawaii for the last three years. That's essentially my gist. The question was, how do you buy businesses or how to, what is the process of buying businesses? Correct, Brian? Yeah. So let's start off with, I think, a really interesting point to begin with. And it's something that I've been really sticking on myself is forming partnerships in the business acquisition process and or searching for businesses that have deficiencies where you're strong. So well, for you, let's use you as an example. This is good. This is a good way to do this. Let's use it. you as an example. So before we talk about those two things, which valid questions, what is your goal behind the acquisition process? What are you trying to achieve by acquiring a business? By acquiring a business for me, if I was looking to buy a business personally, yeah. Correct. I'm looking for strong net monthly cash flow. That's what I'm looking for. If I'm buying a business as opposed to a real estate asset would be something to increase my equity position through value add or appreciation for businesses. I'm buying pure cash flow. Okay. And then you want cash flow with a lot of work and a lot of problems or cash flow with no work and no problems. Jay, I love having problems. Everyone on here wants to have so many problems. I don't have enough in my life. No, but I tell you, because I ask this question to a lot of people and they tell me I enjoy solving problems. I enjoy, that's why I like to be in this game. So when you come from that perspective, a lot of times you attract problems. So I used to be that person. I'm that person who thinks that I have this innate skill to solve problems. And when I say that, the more I say that, the more problems I'm getting. So I don't want that. So it's I want to with nails. Yes. So I want a business with no problems, but there's no such thing because when you buy a business, you buy in a team, you buy in a group of people, you buy in a list of clients, you buy in. So there are going to be some. So we're trying to minimize an ideal game in an ideal world. I want a business that has 100% margin. I want a business that's growing 500% a year. And I want a business that essentially has no, no, no issues whatsoever. High margin fast growth, no problems. But that doesn't exist. So let's work from there. Let's come down from there. So my first, if I'm looking for cash flow, then I'm looking for a high margin business. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for a, a business that's been doing that, that that's consistent in its revenue. So right. consistency in revenue and a high margin and a consistency in a higher margin. So those are the two kind of things that I'm looking at. And then maybe Another thing is I want something that's not going to be high 
capital expenditure. I want I don't want something that I need to buy equipment for all the time or buy machines or buy stuff. So that's where you talk about the service aspect where I just need people to do stuff. And probably low headcount as well. Because especially wanted- if, you have low, if you don't have management experience, you, it would probably not behoove you to take down a 20, 20 headcount plus business. So what you're saying, you're not saying low headcount. What you're saying is high revenue per person. Okay. So you can get into a place where you have low low count but low revenue. So you want high revenue per person on average for across industry, and you want high margin, and you want low capex and consistency. So if I'm gonna go and buy that business, which I'm looking for that exact business myself, constantly all the time. I'm always buying those businesses. If they exist, I'm buying them. So I'll give you an example of one like that. I'm underwriting a business right now that does testing for electric generators in data centers. So data, like with the amount of data that we use every day, it's only growing. So Mm -hmm. data centers are getting built all the time. It's one of the hottest asset in real estate that exists right now. So part of having a data center, you're required to have electrical generators in case the electricity shuts down. And part of having those generators, you're required to test them on a regular base. So there are companies that have certain certifications that have testers that are licensed testers that go and just test all the time. So periodically, they have to go test. So they have these contracts. Yep. So there are two components, actually. So there's a there's the first component, which is the build out. So where they build new data centers. So they go and certify them that they actually work. So that's the construction phase. And then a lot of that construction work can turn into recurring every month afterward. And so all you have is you have technicians that you may char- and pay 40 to $60 an hour, and you're charging 300 to 400 bucks an hour. And you can do this all day. And it's the whole thing is about developing these testers and recruiting them because it's a hard test to pass. So not a lot of them can pass. And then there are levels of them. So the higher the level, the more you make. And so there are a lot of level and not all of them can get to the next level because it's a hard test again. Every level gets harder. So that's a great business because it's a niche. Probably no one in this call probably has ever heard of something like this. But so no, no one is looking for this. Everybody's looking for HVAC. Everybody's looking for pest control. Everybody's looking for, but there are a lot of these niche businesses that have they have, they have high margins, uh, high revenue per person, no cap, very little cap. There's some equipment that are very low. And, and I can do that because I enjoy motivating, training, coaching, holding accountable people. So that's the part. Like if you are in that game, you have to be able to, do, to know how to lead people. And then you have to know how to hire leaders or how to develop leaders. So that's where... That's your add value add. That's you bring in the most value. So you have to have systems in place to develop or recruit leaders. Yeah, Jay, before we move forward, there's a couple of new faces on the call. So like me and Janet and some of the people on the call have been really deep into business buying, but some are like brand new to the idea. So they're unfamiliar with how businesses are valued and why they should buy a business as opposed to start a business. So can we answer those two questions first to develop a foundation here to build on top of? So question number one, 
Why are we talking about buying businesses as opposed to starting a business? Question number two, how are these businesses valued? Yeah. So you buy a business instead of building because the risk is so high for failure when you start than when you build. So that first year, 80% of businesses fail. The second year, probably another half of it. The third year, another half of that half. So the chances of a business to survive and succeed is very low. So if you buy a business that's been around for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you have a high likelihood of success. So that's why you buy instead of building. And then also when you buy, which comes goes into the next question, which is how much you, how do you value it? When you're buying a business, all of you guys are familiar with real estate. So if you buy a multifamily building at a five cap, for example, in California or anywhere else that's that's strong, five cap is equivalent to 20 times NOI. So if you do five cap is 20 times net operating income or the profit that you get or 20 times the profit you get from that building. So 20 years, yep. you're paying 20 years of that cash flow to the seller. Yeah. When you buy a business, you can buy it as low as two years of net profit. You can buy as low as one year with a profit. But in general, it's around three. That small businesses are usually around three. But let's... So three years, so you're buying the same cash flow for a lot less than what you buy real estate. So if Brian said he wants more cash flow, he can get more cash flow per dollar in, in, in buying a business than he could do it in buying a real estate. So his dollar can go far in terms of generating cash flow. And I'll give you an example. I have, I have a building, I have like a pharmacy at Walgreens. And I bought for seven, seven million. So seven million. And it generates, it generates something after debt and everything is about 150K. If I spend seven million on a business, I can generate board. <laughs> plus 20. Yeah, I can probably generate. Oh, hold on. Three times. So I'm buying three times. So it's three, three, two million, two and a half million and two and a half million. So I can generate probably about 600 K, 600 to 700 K in net cash flow for myself. Take so home. take home to the seller. Right? Yeah. So I can, and I can generate even more than that. I can probably generate up to a million. So go from 150 to a million bucks with the same amount, uh, purchase price, all the same amount, debt and equity and everything. So it's the same level. So I can get more for less. That's why I would buy instead of building. What was the other question? No, that that was basically it. Why buy instead of build? And then how are businesses valued, which you answered there. Yes. And then also what you're talking about also applies in the inverse to where now business on your balance sheet can be a little dicey because there's 20 different ways to value the business. But if you want to increase your multiple, it's like you can increase your profit and then have a 3x multiple on that profit towards your balance sheet, correct? Yeah. So I'll, yeah. So one another value of buying a business as opposed to real estate, when you buy a piece of real estate, you can add value and increase rents. And that's probably the most you can do, lower your expenses, so there's only so much rent you can increase before you hit the top of the market. And there's almost as low, there's a ceiling, there's a ceiling and there's a floor in terms of the expenses. There's a floor on expenses and there's a ceiling on the rent. So you're boxed in into this kind of band 
of what you can do with a real estate property. With a business, there are a lot of levers you can do. There's no limit in terms of revenue. You can add more salespeople. You can add more advertising. You can buy other businesses. There's no ceiling in terms of how much revenue you can do. And obviously, there's probably a floor in terms of expenses, but I think the ceiling piece makes it where you can you can do some you can do you can grow that business and you can grow that cash flow to infinite if you will but that also that plays that's the question in terms of cash flow but then that cash flow is worth more is worth more when it's bigger so the if i'm buying a business that's doing let's say $500,000 in cash flow for two and a half times to three times multiple, if, if I can turn that business that's doing 500K to doing 3 million, I can jump that multiple from three to four to five. And if I can take that business to do 2 million and then make it do 5 million, then I can jump to the six, seven, even nine times multiple. So the valuation just jumps from two and a half to nine times very quickly. And you can go up to, if you cash the right time, where there's the money's cheap and people are buying a lot of transactions, you can jump to 15. I've seen businesses that can go from two and a half, three times to six times to nine to 15 times. Jay, I have a, I have an observation that I'd like you to validate or to challenge. So after doing 400 interviews now and being around you guys and hanging out 24 seven with like millionaires, billionaires, what I've noticed is there's two different games. I feel like like the seven to eight figure game is real estate and value creation in real estate and having the equity jumps there. And then I feel like the eight to nine to 10 figure game is business. Yes. I feel like I haven't seen many, if any at all, guys and girls with 50 million plus that was purely through investment real estate, unless they own the business that does the real estate. Yeah. Would you validate that or add anything 100%, to that? 100%. 100%. Same amount of time as well. In a shorter period of time, you can just, yeah. So business is where it's at. That's where you can create a lot of value because that because of the ceiling element. Right. Real estate has a ceiling. Business does not. So if you catch fire, if you and then that's the beauty of acquisition is that you can catch you have something that's already proven concept. It's not like something that you're gonna test. It's not a startup. It's already existed for the last five to ten years, and then you're adding discipline, you're adding management, you're adding marketing, you're adding technology, you're adding all these things on top, culture to elevate it and explode it. Awesome. So Jay, let's I have dive- a question about you're talking about how the multiple can grow over time from let's say like a 3x to a 15. What are some things, what are some levers to pull in order to exponentially increase those? And then also for those of us who are looking into something like that in our five-year trajectory, what are some books and other resources that we can tap into to nerd out on it? Yeah. So one is, let me take a step back there. So yeah, you can increase multiples through increasing revenue, increasing earnings. So at the end of the day, it's about earnings, which is profitability. So you increase profit by lowering costs, increasing revenue. but the sellability or the multiple, I can take two businesses that are the the same exact amount of profit or earnings, but have maybe one has two, three times and one has five times, or maybe one has 
six times and one will command 10 times with the same amount of profit. What's the difference? The difference is the transferability, which means, which means it's, it's a company that has a team in place that's not relying on the owner. It's a company that has systems and processes where if one person goes, one person leaves, you can plug in another person very quickly and then they run the thing. It's a business that has predictability. So if you're acquiring customers for, you know, a thousand dollars and you can generate a lifetime value of five thousand dollars, it's been consistent that way. And it's consistently you're doing the same thing over the so you're giving, you're selling a, a package, you're selling a cash flow machine to somebody else that doesn't need you to be in it, doesn't need any of the people in it to be in it, doesn't need, does, is not relying on one customer. It's not relying on one supplier. It's not relying on one platform. These online businesses that are like all on Amazon, I don't think I wouldn't buy that because it's rely 100% on Amazon or a business that's 100% relying on Facebook. I wouldn't buy that because the minute Facebook changes its model, I'm screwed. Or a business that relies on 90% SEO, I wouldn't want that because when Google changes algorithm, I'm screwed. So there's so many, there's a consistency, there's diversity, there's a lot of elements in there that I'm handing a machine, a cash flow machine to somebody. So that that's the part that creates sellability and that's what creates the most value. And I think if you do those things, if you take a business and you turn it into that, it becomes very easy to pour fuel on that fire and then take it in because now you already know for every $1,000 acquisition cost, I can generate $5,000 in lifetime value. So how many hands do you want to play? How much money you want to pour in on that? I know how to recruit. Yeah, I know if I can put 500 bucks I can get a recruit that's going to generate 100k in revenue. So I'm, I have that predictability in my system. I built the process around. I built the brand. I built the culture. I just need to put a, a body in there to pick up the phone and recruit. So that's the, that's how you do it. And so Jay, you- I've got a question on that, and this will tie in. First off, Janet, baller question. Thank you for being a baller. Just another day of Janet balling, guys. A little golf clap for Janet. So an example of a business like, so the Action Academy, we'll use this as like a poster child versus a GoBundance. GoBundance has been around. So all of you are familiar with GoBundance that Jay and I met through GoBundance. So GoBundance uh, does not have what's called key man risk, right? So GoBundance is a faceless organization now. David, Pat, and Tim, and Mike, they all started it. And now it's not the David, Pat, Tim, and Mike show. Now it's everything. So now GoBundance is more of a sellable product. Whereas this, if I disappear, is there an action academy? So that makes it not sellable. But Jay, to play devil's advocate, here's my question to you. I'm trying to think about how to best phrase it. Is sellability the best thing to focus on initially? Or is it just cash flow generation in the beginning and then the packaging on the back end to create it into a sellable asset? So it's two different games you're playing, the cash flow game to begin and then the equity and the balance sheet game with the sellability, because most businesses, even if they're profitable, probably won't sell like statistically, unless well, it's too strategic or to private equity, correct? So what's the best game to play to begin? So yes, but it's not an either or. So the cash flow, mm-hmm. cash flow is a piece of the sellability. So when you think of all the things that you need to be sellable, 
cash flow is at the top of them. You can't sell something that's not cash flowing. And then the, no key man risk. And then having a culture and having a leadership team and having a brand and having diversified customer base and having a diversified platforms and having a diversified sourcing of, of, of team members. So it's an it's not an either or, it's together. And you want to build those together because I want cash flow as well, but I don't want cash flow to be at risk at any time for anything. Because the world is unpredictable. It's like the whole Nadim sound of being anti-fragile. You, you don't want to be, you don't want to have cash flow that's fragile. You want to, you want cash flow that's consistent. That's going to be, so yes, in the beginning, when you're, if you're building a business from scratch in the beginning, all you're doing is just trying to survive. You're just trying to make it the next day. You're making the next quarter. You know what I mean? All you're trying to do is- Trying to sound Istanbul. Yeah, <laughs> all you're doing is, I remember I've been there. I've been there where I actually, you know, those checks they send you from the credit card companies. I've never used those. When I had a business, I've used them. I wrote a check to the company so I can make payroll. You know, I've had those situations where, you know, in the beginning of the year, cash flow is low. You have the seasonality and you try to survive that January, February, March, and then just try to make it to the second half of March so you can get paid. And then pay back the debt so you can make it into where you make profit in June, July, August. So anything can kill you in that period. If you have a bad March, you're screwed. You're dead. So that's where, yes, cash flow is important and you have to do it. And then you have to do all the other elements. Absolutely. If you're building, but if you're buying, you want to come in with the cash flow and then add the other stuff. Perfect. Very well answered. Thank you so much for that. Okay, real quick, let's let's take a quick pause for my new guys and girls on the call. How are we tracking? Is this is this making sense? <laughs> Do we need to hit on anything extra? Anything else, or is this tracking? Oh, I think there's a question in there. I think there is. Let me see. Let's How see. much? How much time do you spend on your day-to-day operations, or are you just taking over and making sure the team is staying on task and reporting? When you're buying yeah. a business, so the way I, so I, the way I operate, I get involved for the first. So it depends on the business, depends on the size of the business, and depends on the strategy. So there's some businesses that are just buy and hold, and they're like what we call platform business. So the platform business is a business that already has all the pieces in place. It's been there for 30 years. It's generating high margin. It's got middle management. It's got a GM. So that one. I don't need to mess with it. I just follow up with them on a on a weekly base for the first three months, bi-weekly for the following three months, and then once a month after that. If if I'm buying something to turn it into that, if I see something that has good pieces and I want to turn it into a platform or I want to buy it as an add-on for the platform, then that one I get involved more. So that one I'm in it for the first probably three to six months until I have understanding feel for the business and I have a feel for the people and I have a feel for the culture. And then I'll hire the right person for that culture, for that vibe. And then and then I'll and then I'll be on a weekly base and bi-weekly, then monthly. I okay. hope that answers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Jay, can we jump into the buying process? And I see if Phil asks a question. We'll get to we'll get to Phil's question right after. Let's go through the actual buying process right now and how you structure debt when you're buying businesses. Like for me, my rudimentary understanding is there's basically been two schools that I've seen. You do a 10% down SBA loan 
or you do a seller finance direct with seller. That's been the two schools of thought that I've seen. Can you walk us through when you see a business, you're like, this checks the boxes, maybe go through what your buy boxes for yourself and for your businesses currently are. And then when you're going through the seller negotiations and you're submitting the LOI, walk us through the buying process of the business. So if it's a platform business, then yes, then we do the traditional 10 to, it depends on the size of the business because you could do the 10% down SBA is up to 5 million. You probably can add another four, so which is up to 9 million, but it's rare. It's usually five to seven. That's when you can get that SBA debt and, and you can do 10% down. The seller puts in another 10%, 10 to 15% in seller financing and the rest, the bank is financing. If you do, if you get the bank to finance 70%, of, and then 70% and then you put in 10 and the seller giving you 20, that's the easiest way to get that loan done. Why? Because SBA guarantees 70% of the debt. So literally now the bank has 100% of the debt guaranteed. So there's no risk in your deal. So my goal is with the platform business is to always be in that putting 10% or even putting 5% if I can getting the seller to finance 20 to 25%. And then the rest is SBA finance. So the lenders love that because they have no risk. If that's for a platform business, if it's not a platform business, then I want what we call like an earnout. I don't even, so it is, we call it seller financing, but it's really not seller financing. It's, it's essentially you, the seller is getting paid from the earnings of the business. The business is paying the seller. And if it does the volume that it says it does, then they get paid. If it doesn't, they don't get paid. In those situations, a lot of times the seller just wants to exit the business and it's not a really fully sellable business, not a platform business. And there's not a lot of, not a lot of people are willing to take that risk. There are people that certain industries, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. I don't do crazy stuff. So I like to sleep and I like, I like to my life. Can you define a platform business? Platform business is a business that can run where the seller can go on a fishing expedition in Alaska for a year and that business will keep growing. How rare is that? I feel like that's it's very out there. No, it's out there. No, I just came back from, I was in Tennessee. I saw a business like that where the seller was, you would go hunting and you go fishing and you go and then come back and the business is still humming and growing. And it's a 17 million, 14, 14 and a half million revenue business. So I guess my question for that, and then I'll open the floor up to some of you guys. Sorry, don't let me monopolize this. But my question to that would be, if you have a seller that has a platform business by your definition, and they're bringing in 17 million gross revenue, they're hunting and fishing half the year, why the hell would they sell the business to you? Yeah. Doesn't there have to be some type of distress for them to even consider the sellability of the business? Yeah. yeah so I'll tell you, I'll tell you this specific, uh, this one specifically. The couple had built this business over 34 years. And last year, a good friend of theirs who has a similar business in a different state, um, they know each other through organizations, through industry organizations, has looked at to selling his business to retire and has been talking to them about it and they've been observing him from far and he did sell and he did he had a good sale and a good situation and then he went fully where he just does not take a phone call or an email or anything where he just goes fishing all there and then six months after 
fully closing on his transaction and enjoying his life, he gets a heart attack and dies. And then they look at it and I'm like, oh, shit, we don't have any, we don't have that much time. And he's the same exact age as the couple, like literally wow. the same exact age. And they were looking at him and they were like, literally, I had lunch with them and they told me that's like, this is, so we decided right there and then we need to be done. We've been talking about this for the last five years. COVID happened. We dealt with COVID. Now we're out of COVID. This happened. It, and and uh, it's funny because I, well, it's not funny, it's sad, but. I met them, I think it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, and on Monday, they were burying the guy. So people do stuff not from a rational perspective. It's a lot of sometimes emotional perspective. Sometimes they want the they want to protect their team. They want to protect their legacy. They want to protect their same way that we as individuals, we create trusts, we create succession plans. They create succession plan. This couple didn't have any kids. They just had dogs and animals at four houses. They didn't need more houses. They didn't need more money. They had plenty of money. They, they just wanted to go fishing and hunting. I think there's a question there. Neil? Yeah, Neil. Yeah, so like on a situation like that, are were you actively pursuing and looking for businesses? And did you contact them or did you see it on a crack seat or like, how did that come about to where you had the opportunity to yes. step in at the right time? Yeah, so this one... It was a deal. It was a deal that I had put an offer on that I didn't get. And part of my process through a broker and part of my process, we call them boomerang deals. So a lot of these transactions, they don't close. So a lot of transactions, I might put an offer. I might be one of three offers and then I don't get it. They take someone else and that someone else after three months didn't close. So it comes back to me. So in this case, it didn't come back. This other deal didn't come back. Actually, in this case, I was following up with the broker to find out what happened to that deal. And he told me that they're about to close on that deal. But I have this other deal that that's even better. And that's how I was introduced to this deal. So it's a off to a broker. Okay. Yeah, so it, it seems it's like in the game, like with real estate, it seems like brokers are the make or break of the business buying world. Is that correct? No, I would say it's easier to do a deal with brokers because the brokers do the legwork into educating the seller in terms of what to expect in terms of the process. But there are a lot of deals that get done out in to buyer. There are a ton of deals that get done that way. And I was actually just interviewing a, someone who all he does is direct to outreach to sellers. And he's got a specific niche and he's got the list of all the companies within that niche in certain states. And he just keeps the conversation with them on the phone and in person all the time. He's part of the associations in that industry and he's seeing these people all the time. So he's kind of like over a period of time. And it doesn't, a lot of times it doesn't take that long. You just need a year and you become known as a legit person because they see you over and they, you know, and then you keep showing up. And uh, so it's, I would say 50, 50, 50% deal gets done through brokers, 50% gets done direct to sellers. Awesome. Thank you for that. Cool. We'll throw it to Clivia. Also, you and Janet are going to be best friends. Janet, she's brand new. Y'all need to, y'all need to just bro out over there. So we need each other. Sit down, sit down. 
<laughs> Thanks for sharing all this information, Jay. My question is, do you try to stay within a certain industry or business type? Or are you just looking at those elements we talked about, sellability and cash flow and the others? So yes and no. So yes, there's certain industries that I probably, because I have to have a target, right? So it's like I have a destination that I want to get to, but I also stop and smell the flowers and stay open. Keep my eyes open on the periphery because you never know, you might find something that's so amazing that if you closed off, you're not going to see it. But yes, my I have maybe three or four industries that I'm going to target and I'm going to go to the universe and tell this is what I'm looking for universe. But then once in a while, like I wouldn't know about the battery testing business if I didn't, if I wasn't pursuing the technology service businesses. And I was just pursuing something completely different, but just this kind of fell, fell on my lap. And so that's where you have to, yes, you have to have some goal, but you have to be open. Awesome. Janet, you're, you've been actively searching for businesses to buy. What major roadblocks have you ran into in your process that Jay can possibly help you with here? Yeah. So I'm looking for hot, like higher EBITDA type businesses. So million plus, which means that I was looking at a deal that was about, it's going to offer about six or seven million is the asking price. I think one of the things is that I'm just up against is I think the seller was just really adamant about getting getting to their top price, but the DSCR is just not penciling out. So how would I go back to them and just say, hey, look, like that structure wise is just not it's not feasible. It just means that I'm probably gonna have to borrow more than five million. And so how can I negotiate with them on that? And then also how can I negotiate on like the seller financing stuff? Yeah, so so that starts with so it aside from that negotiating itself, it's it's a lot of it has to do with how much deal flow do you have. So if you create a lot of deal flow. If you create, hold on one second, hold on one second. Punctuate the awkward silence. Action Academy freaking rocks, by the way. Hey, this is sick. <laughs> this is a Monday for us now. Janet, you remember how long have you been in? Like 14 weeks now? Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I'm looking for a high EBITDA business, six, seven million. Think about <laughs> the, the DSCR, the debt severance coverage ratio just isn't really to my liking. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I remember talking to you, you're like, I hate my job. <laughs> all right so, you back. Yeah. so i was gonna say is i think the key there is to have more deal flow so the key there is to have to to prospect more find more talk to more brokers find more deals find more of this so if you have a lot of deals and you're talking to a lot of sellers when you meet someone like that it's a different conversation so if i'm talking to the person say, listen this doesn't make any sense and i understand you would want 6 million. I wouldn't blame you if you want 60 million. You should ask for 60 million. Why stop at six? But the it's way cool. these things are sold and the way these things are financed, you only you can only buy what you can finance. And right now, this is the best deal. And your goal is not necessarily try to maximize the deal. Your, right now, the goal is for you to close the transaction. The goal is for your employees to be taken care of. Your goal is for your customers to be taken care of. Your goal is for your business to survive and the legacy to last. 
I've dealt with sellers that that negotiated in a strong-handed manner, and I and three years later I came back to follow up with them, and the business has shut the doors. And this happens all the time. This is the best time to be selling because we know where valuations are right now are very high. The market is hot. And, and what do you think happens when things get hot? They, they come down. So your risk is only going to come down. So I would highly encourage you to reconsider this offer. This is the right price. These are the right terms. This is how we're going to get done. Our goal is not here to just try to get the Our goal is to keep this legacy going, keep this business going, take care of the people, take care of the customers. And if that person gives me a sense that they don't care, then I don't want that business. Because the minute I get that business, it's going to fall apart. So if oh, that well. business is not, I want a business owner that actually is asking me more questions about me, what I'm going to do with the business, what I, like the couple that I was telling you about, we spent two days together talking. We spent, we would sit in the conference room and then we get hungry and we go eat and we come back and sit in the conference room and we talk and we talked about everything and anything, but all they're trying to do is try to get to know me and I'll try to get to know them and then try to see like where our philosophies connect and what we match. And, and they're trying to feel what, how I'm going to fit with their people. And I'm trying to feel how their people are. And the way I think of it, if I like the seller, I'm going to like their people. If I don't like the seller, I'm not going to like their people. And that's what I'm getting. I'm getting a team. That's if we're talking about service businesses that are like low capex, that's what we're getting. We're buying a team. Love it. Thank you. Phil, you had a question about the terms. Hey, yeah. I was going to ask, I'm sure since you've done a bunch of different businesses and deals that you've taken a handful of approaches to acquiring them. And I wanted to know if you took on any investors, say if like you syndicated the money for the down payment, depending on how you're doing the financing, how you ended up working out terms um, with the investors, whether it's like flat or whether you're giving out like equity, whether you're doing earnouts or what your experience has particularly been. Yeah. So yes, we did all the above pure earnout or pure debt or all kinds of combinations, all cash, all kinds of combinations and syndicated deals that are like higher kind of dollar numbers. And the way I think of the returns is that if the traditional real estate deal gives out somewhere between, let's say 10 to 12% preferred, maybe 16 to 18% IRR, if you go equity wise, uh, the business acquisition has to be essentially in the IR side has to be almost double or more. So uh, I need to offer 25 to 30% IR return on the business for and, and a preferred three times, three multiples on capital invested over five years, five to seven years. So three times on their capital preferred. So they get paid first. And, and then some cash flow afterwards. So all the deals that I've done are essentially you're guaranteed, let's say IRR. So let's say 30% IRR five with five years or two years extension. And, and afterward it switches from whatever it was, let's say it was 60, 40. Now it's going to turn into 90, 10. And after making three times their money, they keep 10% of the deal until we exit. So that's usually the structure for the investors if we syndicate the equity portion. 
Have, do you work with funds at all as far as raising some of the capital? Or have you thought about starting a fund to do like roll-ups or buying a handful of different businesses? And like I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I just like my life simple and yeah. I enjoy peace of mind. But I, pro- I can see how I like to do it deal by deal. I don't like to mix things and it gets complicated. So I like to do deal by deal and then keep it simple because I can exit at a deal and we're done. You know, I mean, I can sell all the deals, make people make a lot of money, and we're and I can just go disappear for a couple of years. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's what Renan, that's what Renan is doing. Renan's yeah. doing the fund we're talking about. That's what he's talking about in Costa Rica. So once the problem was, you build a fund. The problem with the fund, and when you build a fund, you build a team, and then now that team or that fund becomes a business on its own. It has to. It has essentially. It, it keeps growing. You invest in that team. You invest in the business of the fund. And then it becomes like it needs to survive. Like any other organism in the world, like any other cell, it wants to grow and multiply. That's what it wants to do. So that fund wants to keep growing. And it never wants to die. And if it doesn't want to die and it doesn't and it wants to keep growing, it's going to keep me involved in it. And I want to be able to not be involved. I want to be able to check out five, seven years. I want to be able to check out if I want to, if I choose to. If I'm still having fun, great. But I don't want the business to control me where I need to stay in it. To be Yes, you can have people running it, but people, when they invest with you, they invest in you. If you're on a fund, it's you. And it's you taking people's money. And you have to be, I give a lot of value to people's money. So I need to be involved. I can't outsource I can't hire people. Yeah, you can hire people, but I need to be involved. I need to be responsible. So I don't, so I like syndications because you can, they're individuals, you can scale, you can come down, you can sell them, you can make people make money and then completely be done. Thank you. Awesome. All right. See who else do we got? Janet says, if you had to start all over again, building new, Ooh, I love this one. All right. I had this one too. If you had to start all over again, building new relationships with SMB brokers, how would you start? Because we had a guy that is buying commercial properties in the group, and he's pretty new to the process. And he was trying to navigate relationships with brokers. And his hangup was that one of the brokers on the commercial space started calling him out because they were sniffing him out as a newbie. And then they were like, whoa, they're like, what are you doing? Are you a tire kicker? And they were starting to call him on stuff and request like all these proof of funds and all this different stuff on them. So what's yeah. some good advice for approaching brokers if you are a newer investor, but maintaining like, how do you approach it to start it to where they're like, oh, we're not going to give you the time of day? Yeah, just act as if you're done it a million times. So you go in, people who have done it a million times ask good questions. So you're going to you're going to iterate your strategy to ask good questions. So for me, if I'm a broker and like I, the way I do it, I'm going to call a broker, "Hi, my name is Jay. I'm looking for this type of businesses. I'm looking for a business within this region." Like people who come start with a conversation saying EBITDA and they start saying, "Oh, I'm looking for 500 to a million." The brokers know, they can smell that's a newbie. Someone who just saw this thing on Twitter, read a book, and then that's what they're coming at me with. No, I'm just going to call and I'm going to build a relationship with the broker. I'm saying, listen, hey, I'm looking for businesses in this range. Do you see in this uh, industry? 
what are you seeing in your area? Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, we're seeing them once in a while. What are you looking for? And they start asking me questions. The goal is for me to be asking the questions. How long have you been doing this? What are you seeing in the market? Uh, what are some of the transactions that you've done recently? What do you see from a financing standpoint? What are you, are, are you seeing the local banks shrink the way they lend or not? I'm going to ask macro questions. And then I'm going to go a little bit micro. But the goal for me from that conversation with the broker is not to like do it all in one call. The goal is just to start that conversation and tell them that I exist. And then just continuously follow up with that person. Another way I would do it, it's simpler, is look at the people that have stuff listed and then just call them asking questions about this already listed and ask smart, good questions, not not silly questions. And, Let's clarify. And, huh? <laughs> Let's clarify. Yeah. <laughs> what's a stupid question and what's a smart question? Smart, I'm asking for question. a friend, not for me, not yeah, for me. Yeah. Stupid a question friend. is a question for someone. So if it's almost like you're so you're, you're calling about a house, for example. I'll just give you an example, real estate. So you're buying a house. You're not going to call the broker on and on the phone. You're going to ask the broker, hey, is there any problems with the foundation? The broker doesn't know. They have no idea. Hey, is there a leak in the in the pipe? The pipes leaked. How, how do you make sure is the roof broken or whatever? Don't ask due diligence questions. Your goal when you talk to a broker is for them to send you an NDA so they can give you financials. So the first conversation is, hey, I saw this business. It looks like you're doing an amazing job in, in, in this industry. Do you get a lot of these businesses in the same industry? Yes, no. Fantastic. What is the seller looking for? Why are they selling? How can we make an LOI appealing to them? What's important for them in an LOI? I'm only I'm here to add value to the broker. How do I add value to the broker? By helping them close that deal. Because the broker makes money when they sell the thing, when they close it. So I'm trying to create value to the broker. Let's you and I work together. So for me to buy this business and you can make commission. That's that was genius. Yeah, that's it. That's I'm trying to create value to that broker so they can make money. If they see you as someone who adds value, as opposed to someone who's like poking, then they're going to think of you as like a waste of time. It's like you don't know what you're doing because you don't do due diligence with the broker. The due diligence happens much later. Even the first meeting with the seller, you should not be doing due diligence. So another thing that the broker is going to try to qualify you for is in, in know if you're an expert or not. Because what happens is that you're going to talk to them. They're going to send you an NDA. You're going to sign an NDA. They're going to send you financials, right? Well, they send you financials is not to underwrite the deal. They're sending you financials just to see if you're inter still interested. You're not going to do due diligence right there. That first set of financials, just for you to see if you're still interested. We're not doing due diligence. We're not telling the seller, like when they send you financials, you're not going and say, hey, what is this thing in item 503? Why is this much? We don't do that. All we're doing is we're looking at the financials to recognize, is this guy a smart person or not? Is this person, is this seller, has the, is their act together or not? Is this broker a professional or not? And then my goal is to set the appointment with the seller because that's what happens next. I say, thank you for the for the information, Mr. Broker. I'd love to meet the seller. This looks great, like a great business. I want to meet the seller. So they're going to set up a meeting on a Zoom. The broker has to trust 
that you're not going to be like a dummy and start asking due diligence questions in that call. In that call, all you're trying to do is build a rapport with the seller. All you're trying to do is show them how much you appreciate the years that they spent on building this business and show them how you're going to take care of it. Because these people are going to hand you their baby. They've invested the last 20, 30 years. So all I'm doing is in my meeting with the seller is asking story. I want to understand their past. I want to understand their present. And I want to understand their future. That's my framework, past, present, and future. Tell me, how do you end up in this business? Where do you grow up? How do you get how do you end up here? How do you end up in this industry? What do you learn? Tell me about the first the few days, the first year or two. Tell me what are some of the challenges? How do you see the industry evolve over this 30 years? What are some of the things that are getting easier? What are some of the things that are getting harder? What made you successful with the clients that you're serving? What makes you so good at what you do? That's the quality, that's the question I'm asking. I'm not asking anything about EBITDA, cost, percentages, none of that shit. All I'm doing is I want this guy to love me as a buyer. And now all they want to do is like, at the end of that conversation, they're going to start telling me, when we meet, I'm going to show you this. When we sit together, I'm going to introduce you to this. That's what I want to hear from that seller. And then once that, once we do that, I want to feel them out so I can build enough rapport so you feel an emotional connection to me. So when I send my LOI, they're excited to see it. They're not like, Oh man, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's like us together. Yes. It's a partnership, us together building something that's going to work for everybody. So that's essentially the path that we take to, uh, to get there. That's awesome, man. And for the sake of time, how are you good for another five, 10 minutes or do you got a jet? Five minutes. I need to jet. I need to plane. Good. They were asking about how you built up to the 350 million exit for your real estate brokerage. Guys, if you want more information on that, Jay and I did the podcast episode. If you guys want to go back and listen to the podcast episode is I named it like the the billion dollar like Hawaii business flipper or whatever. It was something cute. I can come back. Yeah, this is probably for a full hour just for that. That's a whole separate call. Yeah, that's a whole. I can come back. I'm happy to. I just like today, just so it happened. I'm going to actually see a business in Northern California and that's why I need to head out. But uh, yeah, if I'm going to recommend how to build on that outside the brokers, who else can you tap into resources? Yeah. So who else can you tap into resources? I would say there there's some local, there, there any industry has a body, like an association of that industry. And they all have state chapters. And if you can find the leader of that state chapter, and then you can connect to them, you can actually talk to them and you can tell them, hey, I I love the industry. I'm passionate about, I love what you're doing. I appreciate you as the leader of this organization. You're doing an amazing job. I want to come to one of your events. I want to meet you. I want to connect with you. And then you show up and you present your story, tell them your story, tell them what you love about the industry, tell them what you love about the people in that industry, and then enroll them in the mission of finding you a great business. And a lot of those guys are advocates for the industry, and they know a lot of the old timers that want to retire because they're really, they're at the top of that association because they're really good networkers. And and if you can get yourself, it's like, we call them super hubs. They're the guys who actually have all the information coming through them. So you can find that guy and befriend them. They'll find you good deals. Awesome, man. Jay, I appreciate you coming on. Brandon Rave finally popped on here halfway through. Y'all are both in Hawaii. Y'all need to get connected up. 
Jason Hawaii too, buddy. So yeah, man, we'll let you we'll let you get back to it. Go back to your day. We'll let everyone else get back to their day. I'm gonna go to bed. So we all win. Whole team winning right. as always. So thank you so much, Jay. Thanks for everyone for coming on. And then Jay, we'll pop back on another time, a couple months yeah. down. We'll do a full Happy to. business breakdown of how you broke built the brokerage up. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks, See ya. Jay. Thank you. Peace. Peace.